Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia. Please be seated. Well, today the church observes the festival of St. Philip and St. James. So quick word about these festivals. We try to observe these feast days whenever they fall on a Sunday because it gives us an opportunity to rejoice in our Lord's gifts to the church and how he's preserved the gospel for the church over the centuries. Now we change the colors over to red, even though we just changed them to gold for Easter. We changed to red on a feast day for a couple of reasons. Uh, the most obvious might be that the red is associated with the blood of the martyrs, the blood shed by those who made their testimonies before kings, as we sang in the intro, uh, and confessed faithfully unto death. But the red, while uh, associated with the blood of the saints, the martyrs who have gone before us, uh, it's actually most related, and really from our perspective, we see the red, and even with the, the pictures on the, on the red paraments, it's Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the, the tongues of fire that descended on the apostles, that they then went out and preached the gospel to the world. So in the same way, red is the color as we remember the saints who have gone before us, particularly those who have preached the gospel in the history of the church, as, because it's through the preaching of their word that the Holy Spirit went forth and faith was given. And it is that faith that makes them saints. So a quick word about saints as well. Whenever you, whenever you drop the saint bomb in church, you've got to be sure to unpack that a little bit because it can often be misunderstood. Uh, saints in the sense, really, that we are saints. Uh, as, as Christians in our sinful flesh, we are at the same time saints, declared holy by Christ, but also still sinners. Saints and sinners at the same time. But those Christians who have died in the faith are fully sainted, set free from their sinful flesh, and so we refer to them as saints. So we're remembering them not because of some great things that they've done, like they've built up some, some sort of like hardcore savings of merit that can be drawn from, some lots of good works or something, but they're saints because of the Lord that they confessed, the faith that they confessed, and the faith that saved them. So they're saints. Now, of the two that we, that we remember today, we remember James and Philip. First, we'll, we'll look at James. He's actually considered in the, church, in the history of the church as James the Lesser, and he is the less popular and the less well-known, perhaps, of all the disciples, especially of the, the couple that were named James. There's a few different Jameses in the New Testament. Uh, history kind of tells us that he's James the Lesser, not necessarily because he was less popular, but because he's probably shorter. They just needed a way, they're both named James, you know, it's like you have, in, your, in your school growing up, you got two kids with the same name, so you, you call them something different maybe. So just James the lesser, maybe he was smaller in stature perhaps. But he's also the, less, uh, the least well-known. He's not the one who wrote the book of James, not the brother of Jesus, not the one from the council of Jerusalem. And because he's not so well-known, he is the perfect saint for most of us. We will be unknown by this world in a generation or two. And we are unknown to most of the world even now. But even though we are unknown by most of every history that comes after us, the future that comes after us and all the world today, we have all the value in the world to our Lord 
And we are honored fully by him. We are called saints by him. And we are given to confess the Lord Jesus as Savior. And he has taken up our hands and our lips to serve him as we serve our neighbors and our vocations. This is a high calling, a tremendous thing. So yes, future generations will not remember us. And most of the world today doesn't even know we exist. And yet, your neighbor knows you today. And so that is who the Lord works through you to serve. So that's James, the lesser. And then we remember also Philip. Now, Philip was always confused, it seems, about the teachings of Jesus, at least in the few lines that he gets in the New Testament. He's the one who, who goes to Nathaniel and says, come and see, and that's really the first time he seems to have gotten it right when he's calling Nathaniel to come see Jesus. But then he's the one at the feeding of the 5,000 who pointed out that they didn't have enough money to buy food for the crowds when Jesus had asked them about buying bread. What was the test? Come on, Philip, get with the program. That was the point. Jesus will do the providing. And likewise, in today's gospel, Jesus was explaining that the Father wants to be known and seen through Jesus. So we are to know God the Father by looking at Jesus. God wants to be known according to the mercy of his son, Jesus. So Philip, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Philip had said, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. You missed the point, Philip. You've been with me so long, and you still don't get it. But in often not understanding the teachings of Jesus, and yet still being brought to faith, Philip also is a great saint for you and me, who often find ourselves unable to fully grasp the depth of our Lord's teaching And yet it was Philip who was called to preach the gospel, just as the Lord will have his gospel spoken through our lips today. Now to James and Philip, and to all of his disciples, on the night of his betrayal, which is the context of today's gospel lesson, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Again, it was the night before Jesus, the night that Jesus was betrayed. It was the context of the Lord's Supper. So Jesus knew what was about to happen to him, and he knew how the disciples would respond in fear. So knowing the suffering, the confusion, and the anxiety that was lying ahead in the near future, Jesus said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. In just a few hours, the disciples would have their hearts troubled. And so Jesus was teaching them where to run when trouble hits their hearts. Likewise, this is a message that's also given to you and me. That's why John wrote it down. Our Lord knows what lies ahead for us. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There will be trouble. But that's no surprise. Yes, it's a downer, but you knew it to be true already. The Christian life is not without assault by the devil, the world, and our sinful self. 
Jesus tells us this, not as though these challenges can be avoided, but because he knows that they will come to you. But when they do, he wants you to know where to run for peace. He speaks peace into your troubled heart. Again, the Christian is not promised a life of smooth sailing, but we are promised a Lord upon whom we stand when all else fails, who brings true peace into our fears. So let's consider what it is to have troubled hearts. It's the Greek concept of the heart. It is the center of the whole inner self. We still kind of refer to the heart in that way. It includes your thoughts, your desires, and your feelings. Your heart exposes what you love. It exposes what you worry about and what you trust in. In your life of faith, your heart is bound up with God, as it should be. And yet, in our life of sin, in our sinful flesh, our hearts often and regularly fashion false gods. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. So to be troubled, the Greek idea here is a picture of water being shaken and splashed around. Ripples that keep coming. It's a rock getting tossed into a calm lake and destroying the calm. The funny thing about ripples in a lake, they keep coming, don't they? So it is with the troubles in our heart. The devil, the world, and our flesh keep tossing in rocks and the ripples keep on coming. What troubles your heart? What brings ripples into your peace? Robbing you of joy, occupying your focus, and causing anxiety and fear. And usually, like ripples in the water, they keep coming. If it's not one thing, it's another. When it rains, it pours, and one splash leads to another. And you likely don't have to work hard to think about what troubles your heart. It was probably on your mind before I brought it up. That which troubles your heart exposes that you are not believing in your Lord Jesus as you should. As we learn it in the Catechism, whatever we fear, love, and trust in most has become our God. In our sinful flesh, we fear, love, and trust in so many things other than the Lord Jesus. And this is what troubles our hearts and brings ripples into our peace. That is, you're breaking the first commandment and have fashioned false gods that are competing to be top dog and control you. In our sinful flesh, each of us does this. It's not a question of if you have a false god, but what is it? That which leads you to sin has become your god. The things you fear losing, the things you love that control you, 
and the things you trust in and lean upon in your times of trouble. That reveals your God. Those gods never satisfy, cannot calm the troubles of this life now and certainly not eternally, and your hearts are left troubled by them. So, our Lord Jesus doesn't only say, let not your hearts be troubled. He doesn't just say, calm down, don't worry about it. But he follows it up immediately with, believe in God, believe in me. That is, when your hearts are troubled, you know that your faith has been put in the wrong thing. But when your hearts are troubled, know that I have gone to the cross for you to overcome all that troubles you now and eternally. It's no surprise to Jesus that we face things that attempt to rob us of peace and bring trouble to our hearts. It's the very reason why he would go to the cross shortly after saying those very words, that he would overcome those things that trouble our hearts eternally. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And yet, our sinful flesh has its doubts. And so our hearts are troubled. When your faith is in the true God, who is known only in the person of Jesus, the one who died for you and rose again that you would never die, he calms your troubled hearts. In your life of being simultaneously sinner and saint, though, you are constantly in flux between having your heart troubled by the fleeting worries and fears of this world. But in your life of faith, your Lord Jesus continually speaks his peace into your troubled heart. With hearts fixed on Jesus, the true God, you're putting your faith in the one who calms the storms. He has forgiven your sins, has overcome death for you, and has put his name upon you, marking you as his own eternally. He is with you, and he will not abandon you. This life is full of things that seek to trouble you. You know that. And Jesus knows it too. It's no surprise to him. And so he tells you today, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Stop chasing your idols. Stop running to them for help. Your Lord turns you back to himself as the only true God, the way, the truth, and the life. The object of your faith that withstands the storms, the one who has prepared a heavenly place for you and abides with you each day. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia. We stand for prayer.